0: Right, okay. Well, we've, um, <clears throat> we've been looking at elders, and, and we've seen uh, so far that uh, an elder, we have a definition, one of the lads. And that when it comes to eldership and church government, and we're going to see more about that tonight, that's for sure, that elders lead from among the people. They don't lead from on high. They're not, in that sense, over you. And yet, on the other hand, as we've been going through these, these studies, we, we have seen verses that, depending on which translation you use, do suggest that elders rule or that they are over the church. And, of course, um, isn't there somewhere in the Bible a verse that says that you must submit to leaders and, and that even you must obey them? And And so aren't we going to see that elders are kind of in authority in the church and that the Bible says you've got to submit to them and just leave it there. You know, is that just just, just do what the elders say and then you've, you've, you've kind of got the idea. Well, no, I'm going to show you that when I say that elders are just one of the lads and that they lead from among and that they're not over you, I want, want to show you that, that that is exactly what the Bible teaches. Now, I mean, a lot of this stuff tonight is going to be new, but... um goodness it's 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 tremendously important let's let's ask a question all right because we we're, we're going to be looking at eldership and authority and submission so the point is if the elders are in authority then shouldn't you just basically submit to them so let's let's ask a question and the question is this who had the decision making power in new testament churches when decisions had to be made, who made those decisions? Because that will tell us who's in authority. Or to put it another way, who had the last word in the New Testament churches? Now, if you go to Luke chapter 22 and um, look at some of the um, the teaching of Jesus. And uh, in in Luke chapter 22, and uh, I'm going to read verse 24 to 27. Now look at this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I, who's the most important? Who's over who around here? Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Now, here we have Jesus saying, look, amongst the Gentiles, you have hierarchical authority. You have, you know, people over other people, and they they kind of lord it over. It's, It's kind of hierarchy. But he goes on to say in verse 26, but you are not to be like that. Well, who's he saying it to? The future leaders of the church. You are not to be like that. The apostles were going to set the tone for leadership. Obviously, they were the original leaders of the Christian church. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at table, but I am among you as one who serves? Now here, Jesus prohibits hierarchical leadership in the church. He said there are no pecking orders. No one's higher up in authority than someone else. And he actually likens authority. He says, look. Is there going to be authority in the church when it comes to leadership? Yes, there will be, but this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like being the youngest, i.e. a child. And he says it's going to be like being a servant. So here, when Jesus defines the nature of authority when it comes to leadership in a Christian church, he says that authority is like the authority of a child or the authority of a servant. But what's going on here? Children don't have authority. Servants don't have authority. He picks two groups of people who do not have hierarchical authority. And he says that when it comes to authority in the church, the government of the church, that's how it's going to be for you. So what we're going to be asking is, well, what other sort of authority is there? And I'm going to show you tonight that authority as it works in the church when it comes to church government is of a completely different kind from hierarchical authority. i.e., having people in positions of authority with people under them. And you do what the person next next up the ladder tells you to do. I'm going to show you that that is not how it works in the Christian church or it shouldn't be how it works in the Christian church. So in other words we're going to be asking this question, are the elders in charge or not? Um, Are the elders the decision-making authority in the church or not? Do the elders have executive authority or not? And so in order to actually find out this. Let's, let's actually have a look in scripture and let's ask ourselves, how did the early church go about things when decisions needed to be made? And what, what was the mentality? How did the early church, how did the apostles understand this thing about the fact that there were leaders and were they in charge or not? Now, if you go to Acts chapter 6, and and we're just going to look at the the, the two big occasions in Scripture where we see churches, or where we see important decisions that had to be made. Now, Acts chapter 6, and let's let's read verses 1 to 6. Okay, he says, "In, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, you'll remember that on the day of Pentecost, because it was Pentecost, that Jews had come from all over the then known world. And what it means by the Grecian Jews is that these were the Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem. Indeed, they didn't even live in Israel. They come out from all across the Roman Empire, uh, and you know, sort of mainly, you know, sort of Greek, a Greek-speaking empire. And so they were the Grecian Jews and they were—they come in and remember that loads, thousands of people had been converted um, at Pentecost and then a few thousand more just after. And they were staying around. Rather than going home, they were staying around being taught by the apostles and, and learning all the stuff they needed before they went back to where they'd, they'd come from. Now, of course, this, this, this meant that suddenly... Uh, the Jerusalem Church, which would have been comprised, you know, of a lot of of, of Jews who were actually living in, in in Jerusalem, the Hebraic Jews. Nevertheless, they were trying to look after all these many many people, and a lot of the men folk, their jobs were back where they lived, and so it was important to make sure that every that everyone was looked after, and so the the church developed uh, this this kind of welfare system. And what's happening is that the widows of the the uh, grecian jews i e the ones who were temporarily in Jerusalem having come from the outside, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and uh, there was murmuring all right there was there was complaining now, in verse two we see so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So here we have the apostles um, who, who were kind of, um, you know, sort of like acting as uh, like shared out. Elders for all the churches. Remember, this is very, very. The church here is very, very young, and there were loads and loads of individual churches in Jerusalem at this time, all just divided down in into people's houses. And the apostles are kind of acting as a, a shared out eldership, you know, amongst kind of all the ter- churches, and they're doing the teaching and 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 stuff like that. And what they do is they get all all the churches together, they get everyone together, and they say, look, we've got a real problem here, and uh, and We need a lot of practical application to make sure that everyone is getting all the food and all the provision that they need. And they say, but look, we're so busy kind of, you know, doing the teaching and, you know, and stuff like that, that my goodness, we we just haven't got time to do it. So, so we, we need to have a bit of a plan here. Now then, look, look what they say, because the apostles come up with a suggestion. They say, hey, look, here's what we need to do. All right. And they say. Brothers, and they're talking to the whole gathered church. If you like, all the churches, but come together as the church in Jerusalem at that time. So there are hundreds and hundreds of them, right? And they say, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, etc., etc. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, look what's happening here. The apostles as leaders, and they're kind of like acting elders, as it were, they make the first move. They say, hey, look, here's a problem. We need to do something about it. And they make a proposal. You see that in in, in verse verse 5, this proposal. This wasn't a a command from on high, this wasn't an order, it was a proposal. And what was the proposal? Well the proposal is to have seven people whose responsibility was to sort this practical problem out. And indeed it looks like this is the origin of deacons, which just means those who wait um, at table. And so what they're saying is, look, how about we need seven men and uh, you know, and 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 we need them to look after this problem and to sort it all out. So it's a proposal; it's not a command. But look, as well, they say, choose from among yourselves. Now that's incredible. The apostles don't say, uh, "We'll we'll we'll sort out seven men who are going to do this." They said, "Look, here's our proposal: seven men and." It seemed good to everyone. And they said, right, you choose them. You choose them. The church made that choice. The gathered church decided that they were going to be deacons and who they were going to be. The apostles took the lead. But they didn't just expect that they were going to give an executive order and that everyone was just going to fall in line. And indeed, they didn't even choose these men themselves. They left that to the gathered Churches, my goodness, isn't that different from the way we do things today? go to um, Acts chapter fifteen now a good bit of time has passed and we've got a real important decision that has to be made here now let's 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 start reading from from verse one some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with other believers. I wonder who appointed them? Hmm. wonder if it was the Antioch church. Mm. Yes, it is. Because... It says so. Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. Now, what what we've got here is that Paul is 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 evangelizing amongst Gentile people. So they're not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're getting saved now some Jewish believers have come up from the Jerusalem church and they're saying, you've got to circumcise them, i.e., for a Gentile to be saved, not only must they believe in Jesus, but they need to become a Jew as well. And Paul says, hey, look, you know, we, we need to get this sorted out one way or the other. So they go down to the Jerusalem church and they convene a big kind of meeting, a big kind of summit meeting, hey, we need to sort this out. And so uh, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders. Interesting. Not just the apostles and elders, the church. And look, here, now, it's not the apostles, it's the apostles and elders. So now, because this is a good, good amount of time has passed, and all these individual little churches in Jerusalem... They've recognized their own uh, homegrown elders now. So now it's the, the apostles and the elders and the church. Now then, uh, then some uh, to whom they reported everything God had done through them, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And Peter now goes on to tell them, well, I preached the gospel to Gentiles in the house of Cornelius and they got saved and God didn't require them to be um, circumcised or anything like that. So, So Peter stands up and he says his bit and he says, well, no, I actually don't think that there needs to be any of this circumcision stuff for Gentiles anyway. And then it says, the whole assembly. Now, that's that's important, because in verse 6, when it says the apostles and elders met to consider this question, they haven't gone off behind closed doors. Now, obviously, when you've got hundreds of people together, because this isn't just a church coming together, this is lots of churches in Jerusalem coming together as the church in Jerusalem, you can't kind of have everyone having an open discussion. So what's happening is the apostles... And the elders, they kind of form a group, and they're debating this out in public, okay? But the whole assembly is listening. Because as we're going to see, it's not the apostles and elders who make the final decision what happens. So in verse 12, then the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Verse 13. Now, when they had finished, James spoke up. And when you now, from verse uh, 13 down to the end of uh, verse 21, you have James kind of summing up the debate as he sees it. And he's kind of saying, uh, well, it seems to me that the conclusion of this is that we're saying that we're not going to say that Gentile believers have to be circumcised. Now, what tends to happen, mostly when you get teaching on this, it kind of ends there. And the picture you get is kind of, OK, the church has come together and the apostles and the prophets, uh, sorry, the, the apostles and the elders have gone off. They've kind of thrashed it all out, made the decisions. And then James stands up and he gives the edict. So executive authority, executive declaration from the leaders of the church um, and the the church en masse just kind of listens and accepts what the leaders say and and just do it. Now that is not what happens because look in verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers, with whom they sent the following letter. Who made that decision? It was the gathered church. Was it the apostles? No. Was it the elders? No. Was it the apostles and elders together? No. It was the whole Church. All the churches in Jerusalem coming together to make a decision, and it was the whole church that made that decision. Now, the apostles and the elders were part of that decision making process, but they weren't the decision making process on their own. This was something where the whole church gathered and they decided as a corporate body. And then, if you actually look in verse 23, and this letter starts off, the apostles and elders, your brothers. Now, what it should say, what the Greek says, is like, from the apostles and elders and brothers. So the point is, this group, the apostles, the elders and the brothers, they are sending this letter to the rest of the churches, which is kind of uh, defining what is going to happen in regards to Gentiles. And uh, so off goes that letter in the name of the whole church in Jerusalem. So what what is the basis? What are we seeing here in the early church? On what basis did they decide things? Were decisions made behind closed doors by the leaders from on high and just passed down the ranks and others implement it? No, absolutely not. What we are seeing here is the whole church made that decision. Now then, let's let's kind of ask ourselves. Um, Another question. Because remember, mostly today, churches operate on executive authority. You have the leaders, they're hierarchical, and whatever those leadership structures are, however high they go up to the top of the pyramid or whatever, okay. Uh, Nevertheless, decisions are taken by leaders and just fed down the ranks, as it were, to, 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 to the, the rank and file, as it were. And uh, so, therefore, the key thing is what the leaders are deciding, what the leaders are are finding out from the Lord. Now, let, let's ask a question, and it, it, it's this. Who were Paul's letters written to? If the heart of church government are leaders, then we would expect to see that the push in the New Testament, particularly in the letters, is all to leaders, leaders, leaders. So let's, let's ask a question. When Paul, as an apostle, wrote to churches, did he write to the leaders? Now there's something very, very interesting here. If you go through the New Testament, I mean, you know, if you go through Paul's letters, okay, and if you ask the question does he write these letters to the leaders? Now In Paul's letters, with the exception of Philippians, where leaders get a mention in the first verse, it's not written to them, but they get a mention. With the exception of that, leaders are not even mentioned when Paul writes to churches. Now, how strange. But you see, their mentality was that they weren't leader-obsessed like we are today. So you go through all Paul's letters. The leaders, they're not even mentioned except in Philippians. And it's a passing greeting. Why is that? Well, it's because obviously the letters are to the leaders as well. Because the leaders, the elders, are part of the church. And the letters are written to the church. And in actual fact, as you you keep going through Scripture, uh, the writer to the Hebrews he greets the leaders um, at the end of the letter, so that's that that's kind of nice. And um, but until you get to one Peter chapter five, until you get to one Peter chapter five, you do not have any leaders being uh, elders being uh, spoken to or addressed directly so that you have to wait until 1 peter chapter 5 before you get anything specifically addressed to elders of a church now then i hear you say oh hang on a sec wait a minute what about paul's letters to timothy and titus now now i mean weren't they written to to elders of the church Now, what you've got to understand, um, and and it's a big mistake that we call Timothy and Titus the pastoral epistles. See, what we tend to do, we, we read our wrong teaching and practice back into the Bible, you see. And because we you know, sort of like the, the general Christian scene and it has been like this for, you know, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, all right, is that you get a church led by one man at the top. Now, in some churches, he's a priest. In other churches, he's a pastor. All right. But the point is, we, we have this wrong idea that a church has a pastor, one man leading it. That is totally foreign to the New Testament. It's completely unbiblical and what you've got to understand is that although Timothy was leading the churches in Ephesus and although Titus were leading churches in Crete, what you have to understand they weren't elders they were apostles. Now the important thing to understand is yeah they were acting like elders, yeah temporarily, but remember apostles would only lead churches up until the point where each church they were leading had recognized their own indigenous, homegrown eldership. So the point is, Timothy and Titus are in Ephesus and Crete, respectively, merely to facilitate the raising up of those churches own leaders, then they would move on. So no, they were not pastors of churches plonked on a church to lead for years and years and years, and then of course if they moved on, what would happen then is that another pastor would would be imported in. No, they were apostles. So the point is that what we're seeing is that when Paul writes his letters to, to the churches, that is who he's writing to. He's addressing the churches. It's not all written to leaders saying, and leaders make sure you do this, leaders make sure you do that. Now let's, let's just move on because let, let, let's, let's bear this in mind. There is one church to whom Paul wrote that was in about as much mess as a church gets into. And it's the Corinthians. Now then, I'm just going to show you Paul writing to the Corinthian church with the purpose of saying we really must get this mess sorted out. Now then, again, let's ask ourselves, if we were writing to a church that's in a dreadful mess and, and needing instruction, um, who would we be writing to? Well, I think we'd be writing to the leaders, wouldn't we? we, we we'd be writing to leaders, hey eh? You've got to sort this out. You've got to sort that out. Well, go to 1 Corinthians and let's have a look at how Paul goes about this. And uh, if you find 1 Corinthians in chapter 5. Now, the first thing that Paul's going to deal with here is that they actually had a situation where I mean, as one facet of this almighty mess that was the Corinthian church, one facet is that they've actually got a believer, someone amongst them who is living in sin with his father's wife, probably a stepmother. But that was a situation that even the surrounding Greek culture would have thrown its arms up in horror at that. The Greeks were notoriously immoral, especially in Corinth. But even this, would have made a a, a Corinthian Greek say, oh goodness, that's wrong. And Paul's saying, what on earth are you doing allowing this guy to carry on in the church? So he's saying, here is someone who should have been put out of the church. Now, we'll be back to this later on, but let's have a look at this. Right, and we're going to see what does Paul tell him to do. So 1 Corinthians 5, and let's read verses 4 to 5 concerning this, this bloke. And he says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now then, here's the question. Who is he telling to sort that mess out? Is he saying, hey, you elders... You should be sorting this out. No, who's he writing to? The saints at Corinth. The Corinthians. He's not saying, hey, you leaders, get in there and sort this out. He's saying, hey, you Corinthians, you believers there, why aren't you sorting it out? And how are they to sort it out when they assemble together? This is a corporate church decision. Let's go on to verse 12. And Paul says, what? business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Because what he's saying, you mustn't withdraw from unbelievers who are immoral and all that sort of stuff. He said, I wrote and said you withdraw from believers who are living in sin and stuff like that, not, not, not outsiders. And he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Who is the you? Who is to make the judgment about what's going on in a church? The church is to make that judgment. Does it say the leaders? No. Does it say the elders? No. Paul is writing to the church. Now in chapter 6 he moves on to the fact that some of them were were kind of swindling each other and they were taking each other to court before secular courts. And Paul says "This this is a complete a complete travesty. He says, Look, verse 1, chapter 6 if any one of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Doesn't say before the elders of the church, the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Uh, is it just elders? who are going to have position in in, in the coming kingdom of God. No, it's all saints. He's not talking about the elders here. He's talking about all the believers. And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. Does he say, get it before the elders? no mention of elders here at all. He says, before the church, I say this to shame you, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers? Can you see the completely contrary way of thinking that we're being presented with here than that which churches go with? Churches today, and it's been like this since the early church fathers, they go with leadership, the pushes on leadership, executive authority, the experts, the leaders. This is not the mentality we find in the New Testament at all. And we see that the whole time the assumption is that executive decision-making powers lie not with leaders, not with elders, not with the apostles, but with the gathered church well let's ask another question then and it's right in the early church i mean at the very least did the elders lead the church services i mean when 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 the church would come together i mean were it elders who were up front leading it all oh dear no it wasn't And what you've got to realize, you see, this isn't a question of the elders, it wasn't the elders who led their church services. They didn't have church services. There were no church services to be led, whether by elders or anybody else. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. And of course, the point is, we've seen this again and again, haven't we? When the early church came together, they would meet in someone's house, they would have completely open, spontaneous, uh, spirit-led worship and sharing with, with everyone free to take part as the Lord led. No one led it. And then the other thing they were doing, because this was all in someone's house, they would have a meal together, the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's have a look again in 1 Corinthians 14. And we're asking, well, didn't the elders at least lead the services? And Paul says this. What should we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. And then if you go down into verse 31, he says, you may all prophesy in turn. This isn't a service being led from the front. This is not a service. This is just an open time of sharing together with no one leading, sitting round in a circle in someone's front room and just going as the Lord leads with all free to take part. And of course, back in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's whole push, and of course these chapters, 12, 13, and 14, they're all dealing with what a church does when it comes together on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day. And, And the whole push is, he says, look, every part of the body should be moving. No one part should be moving in such a way as prevents all the other parts from moving. That's his push in 1 Corinthians 12. And and, and so what what do we see today? You go along, there's a big service and there's people up front doing all the leading. That is not the way the early church did things at all. They did not have church services. They got together in in, in a church, would get together in in the home of one of the people who were in that church and, and they would just share together and sing and worship and pray and teach each other and they'd have the Lord's Supper, which was a full meal. They would have Sunday dinner together. So, no! The issue as to who leads services is a dead one. The New Testament didn't have services that needed anyone to lead them. Now, let's, let's think about this. Have you ever actually thought, what does the word church mean? I mean, we're a church. where you know, church in wherever you are. The Corinthian church, or whatever. A church that meets in so-and-so's house. Now, the Greek word is ekklesia. Now, there, there, there were various words that could have been chosen for church. But Jesus chose ekklesia. Now, ekklesia has a very, very specific meaning. Now, you've heard, you know, it means called out of. And yes, that's right. That's the literal meaning of it. But it means that more than that. Because the ecclesia was actually a body of people at the time of Jesus. It was a well known phenomenon. There were ecclesias all over the place. And what an ecclesia was an ecclesia was a local political decision making body. And everyone who was part of that body, it's like a local council, but everyone who was part of that decision-making body all had the equal right to raise and then help resolve the various issues. Now that is what an Ecclesia is. It is quite specifically a called-out group of people who are called out together specifically to make decisions corporately and consensually. It wasn't a thing with hierarchy in it. That whole gathered body was called together to make decisions. Now, the very definition of church, if if Jesus had just wanted a gathering, merely just a gathering of people, okay, the, the Greek word for synagogue would have been fine for that. But he chose ecclesia, And it specifically, the definition of a church, is a group of people called together in the name of Jesus to make decisions corporately. That lies at the heart of the very definition of the church. And as we're going through the New Testament, what is it we're seeing? We're seeing that the whole push is that corporate decisions are made by the church, not by the leaders. Not by the apostles, not by the elders, but we're seeing that the push is that each church has a collective responsibility to be governing itself. Leaders are there to facilitate, yes, leaders are there to to act as guides, yes, but It's the church collectively that decides we don't have here the orders coming down from on high. We have the apostles' doctrine coming down, but they were unique. To them was given an anointing of the Spirit that led them into all the truth. We now have that written in the New Testament. But when it comes to decisions that affected churches, we see it was done corporately. It was done collectively. It was done consensually. Now then, earlier on, we looked at the thing about the guy who was living in sin with his stepmother, and Paul says, hey, you've got you've to get this guy out of the church if he's not repentant. Now, let's actually have a look at Jesus' teaching on this thing about excommunication, because there is a time to put someone out of the church. There's no question about that. Now, if you turn to Matthew, turn to Matthew, and again, I'm just... Let me just... Ask you to say, look, if Jesus says you do things one way, if churches are doing them another, they're wrong. They're wrong. Now, how did Jesus say you go about this? All right. And in Matthew 18, and let's read from verse 15. Now then, he says, if your brother sins against you, go to show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, I'm not wanting to go into all that. that that's not the push. Here's a process, you know, a, a number of chances that the erring brother gets. Now, obviously, it's got to be established that he's actually in sin. But the point is, what I'm looking for is that where does the buck stop? Where does this process end? Let's say that someone is in a situation of maybe they should actually be put out of the church. How is that decision made and who does it? Now listen to this, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now then, does Jesus say, right, take it to the elders, let them decide, let them act? No, he doesn't. He said, take it to the church. The corporate gathered church decides consensually even on the issue of putting people out of fellowship. And remember, let's come back to the definition of this word, ecclesia, church. It's a decision-making body. So of course Jesus says, bring it to the church. A decision that affects the church here has to be made. Who makes that decision? The church is a decision-making body by biblical definition. The church makes that decision, not the elders. The elders are going to be there. If a church has elders, if, if elders have been raised up and recognized, elders, yes, maybe they're going to compare. Maybe they're going to emcee to it you know, to to order it and to take the lead in how we're going to make this decision. But the point is, you know, they might act as chairman as the debate goes on. But the point is, the elders have a say in that decision because they are part of the church. But it is not the elders who make the decision. It is taken, a decision taken by the church collectively. So, in the light of this then, let's... Let's let's ask this question. Well, okay. so what about the these verses that we've seen uh, about elders having the rule, Um, you know, you know, the the elders being over you in in the Lord, depending um, on which translation of the Bible uh, you use? We've 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 seen this in this um, series, haven't we? Um, and, And kind of, yeah, isn't there somewhere a verse that says submit to your leaders and and even to obey them? So, so in the light of what I've said, we've got to say, well, why is all that happening then if the Bible just says submit to the leaders? I mean, if the Bible says the leaders do all that, why do we see that the whole push behind the New Testament church here is that the church does it, not the leaders. So we've, we, we've got to have a look now at these verses that people turn to to say, "Hey look, the, the elders are a hierarchy, just, just just do what they say. Now now the first one I want to go to we can't see them all, but uh, we'll certainly cover all the you know the really relevant Greek words here. But if we go to, to one Thessalonians, one Thessalonians and uh, chapter 5. And uh, read, read verse verse 12. And he says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish them. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now then, here Paul says, look, respect, you know, I mean, we've understood, you know, respect your elders and leaders, That's that's fine, isn't it? But here he says that they are, over you in the Lord, and then he says, "They admonish you." Now, this really does sound, doesn't it, like they are the hierarchical authority, and, and 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 it's their job to to tell you off if you're wrong. My goodness, that 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 sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Let's let let's go to one Timothy. Uh, one Timothy and uh, chapter five, and in verse seventeen, he's um. Yeah, he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. And in other translations, it says, uh, the elders who rule well. So, so, so here we've got, you know, like the, like the idea of directors and, 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 and rulership. Now, the actual Greek word in both these verses is proistomy. And proistome simply means to stand before That's all it means. So it means leadership, yes it does. And indeed, it can be used of leadership that is hierarchical. But the point is, proistemi just means leadership. Now, whether or not the leadership it's referring to is hierarchical or not, what kind of leadership it is, you have to go elsewhere to find that out. And of course, I'm showing you that through the Bible, that when we come to leadership in the New Testament, it is not hierarchical at all. It's facilitating consensual government amongst the gathered church. And so, yeah, it it, it doesn't, proiste to me, does not itself denote rank, hierarchy, or anything like that at all. The other word in scripture for leader, and we're gonna have a look at Hebrews 13 in a minute, but in, in Hebrews 13, uh, the word there for leaders is hegeomai. and And that word, yes, it does mean leader, it means simply to lead or to guide. And again, within that particular word, no, no hierarchical powers are implied by the word itself. It's just referring to leadership. And indeed in, one, in Hebrews 13, it's referring to leadership in general. So it would, this would apply to elders, it would apply to apostles, it would apply to prophets, it just applies broadly uh, to leadership. And so the point is that there is nothing in these words at all that imply hierarchy. So, therefore, when it talks about being over you, ah, that's not a very good translation, because it paints the picture of something that isn't there. Because what we're seeing here in Scripture is that the elders did not make decisions from on high. The elders simply played a part in facilitating that consensual corporate collective decision-making process. But they were not the process themselves. I mean, think of it like this. I said that hegiomai can can mean a leader or a guide, okay? And indeed, proiestome means to stand before, to lead, to you know, to to you know, to to go before people. Now, think of it like this. Let's let, let let's say uh, that you decide to go to Oxford or Cambridge, and uh, or or some other place of of great interest, and you go on a tour, you know, one of these walking tours, you know, where someone leads you round and they give you all the info about this college so-and-so was at that college and on this river it goes, you know, all this sort of thing. Now then, what would the person doing that tour be called? A tour guide, a tour leader. Now then, you're on a tour. There's a leader of that tour and they are leading They're standing before you, they're going ahead and you're following them, all right. But let me ask you, are they in hierarchical authority over you? Do you somehow have to do what they say? I mean, it's crazy. They're simply functioning in a leadership capacity. And so what I want you to see is that leadership exists in two forms. There can be leadership, which by definition is hierarchical, But there can be leadership that is purely functional. There's no hierarchy implied in it, like a tour guide. That is what elders are like. They are tour guides. They're like pilots. They're showing you the way to go, but they're not telling you how you've got to go that way or anything like that at all. Because as we've seen, they're just one of the lads they're just a fellow pleb. They're not leading from on high, they're leading from amongst. Shepherds they may well be, pastors as part of their function, but remember that these shepherds are sheep as well. So therefore we're seeing that leadership does not employ hierarchy in any sense at all. You can have hierarchical leadership, but you can have other leadership that is just a functional without hierarchy. And we're seeing that that is the nature of leadership in the Christian church. Right, now it's time now to go to um, Hebrews 13. This, This is kind of like the biggie. This is where people start thumping their Bibles and saying, look, Beresford, the Bible says that you must submit to leaders and you must obey them. Let's actually read it. Well let's let's start um let's see One Hebrews thirteen and um it, it says Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and then in verse um seventeen the writer says this Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them. You get it twice. So that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Then it's in verse 24, he says, greet all your leaders. And I said earlier that that's where they, you know, one of the very few places in Scripture where leaders actually get a greeting. But here, the writer, he says, obey your leaders. And he says that twice. And he says, submit to them. Oh dear, has everything I've said been wrong? goodness, what is this but hierarchical authority? Well, I'm afraid that as with the way that proistomi and might get translated and people perceive them, the problem we've got here is that when we read this translation, it doesn't really truly convey what the scripture, the original languages, are actually saying. Now, the usual... Greek word for obey is, is, is hupakou. Now, again, please don't hold me responsible for pronunciation, all right? And, 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 and that word obeys is used in, in, in Ephesians 6. It's, it's used, for instance, of, of children to parents, and it's used of uh, slaves to their master. So, so that's a very hierarchical thing, isn't it? You know, just, just, just do what you're told because the person in authority over you says it. But that is not the word here that the writer uses. So when we get this word obey twice, it isn't the normal Greek word for obey. And in actual fact the Greek word here, and this is a dreadful translation you see for yourselves, the Greek word here is pytho. So when it says obey your leaders and then A bit further down, obey them, says that again. The Greek word there is pytho. So let's read this again. Pytho your leaders and submit to their authority. Obey, pytho them, so their work will be a joy. Now then, let's read a few verses elsewhere in Scripture where this word pytho gets used. If you go to Matthew's Gospel... The Gospel of Matthew, got a few from here, and if you find chapter 27, Matthew 27 and verse 20, and we read this. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. I didn't see the word obey there. I didn't see a do as you're told there. (coughs) Do you know which word there is pytho? It's persuaded. Pytho means to persuade. Go down to verse 43. And we read, he trusts in God. This is people talking of Jesus on the cross. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. Now then, where's the word Pytho there? It's trust. Pytho means to trust. Go over to chapter 28. Chapter 28 and verse 14. And we read if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And do you know where Pytho is there? It's satisfy. I will 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 persuade him so you'll 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 be okay goodness this is amazing you see pytho means to persuade it means to convince it means to have trust in go go to mark mark chapter 10 so what a dreadful translation obey your your leaders no no be persuaded by them be convinced by them trust in them what a big difference between obeying the push behind obey is that you must do it because you've been told the push behind persuade is well, if you think what they're saying is right you go with it okay? if you trust them you go with it it's up to you whether you go with it or not obey says you must go with it no pytho is you decide if you think what they're saying is ok you go along with it But what's the converse of that? If you don't think it's okay, don't go along with it. My goodness. And indeed, bring it up to the whole church so that everyone can talk it out. Okay, Mark uh, chapter 10 and in verse 24. Um, Mark chapter 10 and verse 24. And... uh, I'm going to scrub that because I think I've written down the wrong verse there, so don't worry about that. But let's let's go to Romans. This one's right. Romans chapter eight and uh, verse thirty-eight. And Paul says, um, "For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, etc., 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 will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord." Where is Pytho? Convinced. I am pythoed that. Now that is the meaning of the word pytho. And indeed, underline this in red ink in your hearts. Given that I've shown you that this is a wrong translation, underline in red ink in your hearts that the New Testament never actually states that you are to obey church leaders right okay but hey what about submit what about submit it says and submit to their authority so okay obey your leaders let's say be persuaded by your lead okay but it says and submit to their authority look they're in authority well the first thing i've got to tell you i'm afraid is that in the greek and this is where the niv is being really naughty the nearly inspired version is that the um the niv Uh, here is putting something that isn't in the Greek. The word authority is nowhere in the Greek text. The Greek text is merely submit. That's all. Not submit to their authority, but just submit to them. The word authority isn't there. And so we've got to ask, okay, right, so what's this word submit? Now then, the usual Greek word for submit is hypotasimai. And it, it's used of wives submitting to their husbands. Uh, you'll find that in Colossians and uh, in Ephesians. You'll, 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 you'll find it, you know, sort of about submitting to the government in, in, in Romans and, and, and in one, one Peter. He talks about submitting to the emperor and stuff like that. And uh, you know, that's that's the usual Greek word for submit. And it's it's rather saying submit simply because you should. It's recognizing the authority and therefore submitting. But again, would it come as any surprise to you if I now tell you that is not the Greek word that is used here? The Greek word that is used here is hupiko. And and it's interesting because this is the only occurrence in the whole of scripture of this word. So hupiko is used here and nowhere else. And what you've got to understand is what it actually means. It does mean to submit But you've got to understand in what way. And elsewhere in its usage in the Greek, obviously outside of Scripture, because this is the only time it's in the New Testament, it doesn't refer to a structure to which you submit, like the government. It's not referring to hierarchical structure. What it is, this is referring to a battle after which you surrender. Now, can you see the difference? And so this word was used of combatants. I, I think of it like a wrestling match, you know, you've know, got a wrestling match, a old big, big Daddy pining in there, and of course, one of the things in a wrestling match, you can get a knockout, but you can get two submissions, i.e. you, you get someone in, you know, where, where they're hurting so much they submit, where they've been overpowered. Now, that is the way in which it's using uh, the word here. Now, of course, what we've got to see as well is that later on in the verse, it talks about Um, the elders, the leaders, it says obey them, or pytho, be persuaded by them, trust them, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. So what it's saying here is, look, don't make these guys' jobs any harder than it already is, all right? Um, And of course the point is that if if you've got kind of, you know, sort of people who are in for a fight, And we all know Christians who end up, for whatever reason, in with a fight. Normally, they pick the fight with the elders, don't they? And so what it's saying here is, look, um, he's already said, look, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. This is verse 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And remember that what he's saying is that unlike churches today, leaders, they're not plumped on you from the outside the, these were leaders who were raised up from amongst the churches. They were going to lead. So the point is, the people in the church—they'd known these people for years. It was a personal friendship thing, and you know, it wasn't a pastor. There's no such thing in Scripture as the pastor of a church. It, it, it's just not there. And and so what it's saying is, look, you know, with these guys, okay, don't don't come out fighting with them all the time. Just submit to them. Surrender doesn't mean you've got to do what they say but if all the time you know you're going to be wrangling with them and fighting with them and the writer's saying no look that is no good these are guys that you have recognized these are guys that you have recognized so why fight with them all the time there's a pretty good chance that where you and they disagree there's a pretty good chance that they're right now you don't have to go with them just you know if you think they're wrong well okay don't buy into it that's fine but don't fight with them Come with an attitude of submission so that you're not going to be fighting. That is what it is saying. Don't come out fighting against the elders all the time because that makes their job very, very hard. And my goodness, I can speak from experience on that one. Yeah. So so this raises a question then, doesn't it? We're seeing that their authority isn't positional. The authority of elders isn't uh, hierarchical. You don't have to submit to them in the sense of whatever they say, you've got to do it just because they're elders. That, that's complete nonsense, all right. So their authority isn't positional. Their authority isn't hierarchical. And we've seen that the basis of church government is consensual. It is collective. It is corporate. So given all that... Because today we see authority in the church, that the leaders are in charge, they make the decisions, and you do what they say. They have the decision-making powers. We're seeing that that isn't the case in the New Testament. Not if you want to be biblical. You can have hierarchical authority in churches if you want, and 99.9999% of churches work on that basis. But if you want to be biblical, you will not have positional hierarchical authority. Okay? And so, so therefore, what is their authority then? What I'll tell you, we've got to go back to what Pytho means. It means to be persuaded by. It means to trust. It means to be convinced by. The authority that they have is the moral authority that a church has given them in recognising them as an elder in the first place. If you recognise them as an elder, you're saying they are a mature brother. We saw that the very word elder speaks of the qualification of an elder, maturity and stability in the faith, in following Jesus. So therefore, if a church has recognised someone as an elder, then doesn't it, you know, kind of go to suggest that they have invested that person with moral authority? Here is a man who has proven himself to them over over many years. who who has proven himself faithful, who has earned his right to be heard. It doesn't mean that you've got to do whatever he says, but my goodness, he does have a right to be heard. This is moral authority. It is the respect that elders have from people, corporately, whereby they can carry the church. That when decisions need to be made, that the elders can be directing on what basis the decision is being made. Not taking the decision, not saying, well, I'm the elder, you've got to go with me. But the point is, some, you know, in, in that decision-making process, that the elders, you'll really listen twice to what the elder says oh, and one of the other elders over here, I'm really going to listen carefully to this. doesn't mean you've got to agree with them, but it means that from long experience, you've found these guys to be right. They've proven themselves to you. Therefore, therefore, be prepared always to give them the benefit of the doubt. So the point is, elders have the authority of older brothers in a family. Who have earned their right to be listened to and who have earned their right to advise precisely because of their relationship with those they are amongst, it isn't the authority of being hierarchical, otherwise Paul would say, "You elders, put this man out of the church. um what well, there's a dispute, Jesus would have said eventually, take it to the elders, let the elders decide nowhere." But nowhere, but nowhere do we find that in scripture. When it came to deacons, the apostles would have decided we are going to have deacons and here they are. That's how churches work since the early church fathers and still do today. When it came to deciding about the thing about, you know, down in Jerusalem, do the Gentiles have to get, you know, sort of circumcised, then that would have been a question, the apostles and the elders would have got together. And in all this teaching, of this false teaching about hierarchy, the apostles would have seemed to be over the elders. But obviously the plebs wouldn't have got a look in, but somehow the, the apostles would have deliberated, the elders would have had their say, but the apostles would have said what's Here's what the policy is, and they'd have given that to the elders, and the elders would have taken that down the chain of command to the rank and file in the churches. Uh-uh. That decision was taken by the apostles and the uh, and the elders and the church together. It was consensual. Now, remember, this isn't necessarily unanimity. You might not need unanimity. Neither is it... um democratic I mean democracy is a 51 percent vote I mean, if you had something like the equivalent in a church, 20 people, and 11 were with something, and 9 were still saying, hey, not sure about that, that's not consensus, that's not enough to go on. But on the other hand, if 19, you know, respected people, you know, mature believers are saying this is the way to go, and, and there's one, you know, old, old, old awkward whatever his name is saying, no, I don't see that, well, I'd say that's enough to go ahead. We're looking here at consensual leadership. Now then, we've 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 got to just have a look at another couple of verses, um, which certainly seem like they're referring to leadership, and where the uh, the 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 word I mentioned earlier, "huper where it talks about you know kind of almost it infers the idea of rank, actually gets used. So let's let's actually have 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 a look at these. Now, only one of them, I think, refers to church leaders. But let's, let's actually have a look. In 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, verse 15 to 16. And we, we read this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, verse 15 and 16. And Paul says, You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these, and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it." Now that word is Hupertasso. And indeed, there is a kind of a hierarchy in that word. But of course, we've still got to understand it against the background of of Paul, who's writing it. Although he uses this word, we have seen the way that Paul viewed things. Purely consensual and collective and corporate. So, So Paul wasn't saying, hey, you elders, you make the decisions. But nevertheless, this word does imply a seniority of rank. Now, I'm not now going to go on and say that elders are actually uh, in a hierarchical authority over non-elders. But the thing is that what we've got to understand is we've seen that the push behind church government is, yeah, the elders are facilitators, but the church governs itself. It's a corporate um, consensual government, okay? But the thing is that often there is going to be deadlock. There may be times when decisions have to be made or maybe people don't quite know what to do and the church just is not reaching a consensus. And it might be something that's tremendously important. Well, the point is that if you get to that situation, it's important, then obviously by definition, the mere fact that a church has recognised elders among them may mean that if the gathered body of the church just doesn't know what to do, but the elders, the leaders, are, are really sure in the Lord that they do know the way forward, then even if you can't give a hearty Amen, nevertheless be prepared to go with those elders. Can you see what I mean? Not because you have to, but because they've proven themselves to you. Can you see what I mean? This is not the norm, this is the exception. This is when a church is at deadlock and doesn't know the way forward. Now, if the elders aren't at deadlock, and they might, they might be saying, we don't know what to do either. You might have one elder saying A and the other one saying B, fine. But if you get a situation where the elders have a consensus and the church doesn't, well, then maybe this is an indication that based on your past experience of these elders, Remember who are friends, long-standing friends. Then be prepared to submit to them. Go with their consensus. Now, the other place that you'll find this this kind of word, submit, it's a Tasso word, is in 1 Peter and chapter 5. Now, if it is referring to elders, then it's just what I've suggested. But I don't actually think it is referring to elders at all. But let's, let's actually read it anyway, just, just for the sake of completion. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 5. Now, it's completely true that in verses 1 to 4, P- uh, Peter has been addressing the elders, and he does so as a fellow elder. Because Peter, I mean, they're different types of apostles. Paul was a continuously travelling apostle, and Timothy and Titus and all his team with him. I.e., they weren't elders in one church, because they weren't at one church for very long. They were planting churches and moving on, all right? So, predominantly, paul and his team they were virtually continuously traveling apostolic ministries yeah they were accountable to uh the, the church back in antioch to the body of believers back there but they weren't really in a church for long enough to be elders they were just leading churches until they raised up elders so they were a moving apostolic ministry all the time and of course they were all single which was kind of important now when we look at peter Peter was different. Peter did. He was an apostle. He did have a wider ministry. He travelled around and helped plant churches, but predominantly he was back home in Jerusalem or wherever he was. So Peter would be long-term in one church, moving out here and there. Paul was long-term moving out and only here and there in in his home church, as it were. So Peter, he was an apostle, but he was an elder in the home church as well. Now, he has indeed been addressing the elders, but in verse 5 you get this young men, or in the Greek it's younger, in the same way be submissive, and that is this eupotasimite word, be submissive to those who are older. And of course that is the word for elder, because elder just means older, if you see what I mean. So some people say that here again it's this word submit to the elders. However, I think in the context, uh, because he specifies that young men, he's talking about the seniority of old age there. But one way or the other, whether it is or isn't, the point is we're seeing that the the way that the New Testament, we're seeing how the apostles thought, how all the elders thought, the way that they did things. And the way that they did things was to see that decision-making power, executive authority, lay with the corporate church consensually making decisions together. So basically what we're seeing is this. Nowhere does Scripture teach that you just have to do what leaders say because they're leaders. And indeed, the push is not being passive. Everything about the early church, the New Testament church, wasn't for you to be passive and just with a ring through your nose and the leaders leading you. The push was for you to be active. So when it came to responding to leaders, the push was on you. You, 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 you decide, you respond because you trust them, not just passively do what they say. When the early church came together, was it for services to just sit there and watch the leaders perform up front? No, it was for a completely participatory gathering where everyone was expected and encouraged to take part. Um, was, you know in, in scripture it's not just you sit there and the teachers teach you, it says teach one another. Admonish one another. There are so many one another's in the Bible. And as we've seen before, leadership anyway isn't to do the work of the ministry. It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the point is, nothing in Scripture is passive. And churches were set up to make sure that everyone was being encouraged to do their bit. And leadership functioned accordingly. So the whole push is, isn't just blindly following leaders. The whole push is deciding, deciding whether you're going to follow or not. Giving them the benefit of the doubt, indeed. But the the push, the responsibility, is on you to respond to that leadership. In the kingdom of God, there are two things that go wrong. You get people who want to control and dominate. and, And that sin isn't dealt with in their lives. So they control and dominate big leadership, executive authority. But in order for them to be able to do that, you have to have a ratio of quite a few more people to one of them who the area of their life that isn't dealt with is that they are kind of, they're, they're bailing out on their responsibility to live their own Christian lives. And they just want to be passive to leadership and led through a ring in the nose. They're not taking responsibility for their own Christian lives to be doing fully everything that they're meant to be doing. They just want to be taught. They don't want to have to go along and to teach other people as well. No, they just want to be passive. And so the point is, for, for the unbiblical system to work, you have to have people who, who who believe it's okay for them to control and dominate, and you have to have other people who relinquish their responsibilities and just passively respond to it all. It is the opposite to what we see in Scripture. And uh, I always... Um, Remember being a bit of a sci fi fan in a blake Seven one of the one of the the, the real great sci fi moments in in bbc history and uh, you 'll remember that in the in in the crew there was two there was Avon and Villa now Avon was the suave sophisticated computer expert. Uh, he, he had a background in crime, he was the, the suave, sophisticated bank robber as well, but there was nothing that he couldn't do with a computer and, and, and he was a real self-possessed kind of in charge of his own life, no problem. Now one of the other guys on the crew was Villa. Now Villa, his background was a bit of a sneak thief and he wasn't very brave, and he was a bit of a you know sort of a bit of a bower and scraper he he didn't have a lot of pride in himself in any way at all and 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 part of the dynamic of, of 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 the program was was this interaction between Avon and Villa who kind of despised each other and were always trying to get one up over each other normally it was Villa who came off off worst and there was um just one particular scene that really stood out in my mind and um, it was a, a, a case where Blake and, and he was the guy in control. He was the captain. He he said this is what we should do, and Avon disagreed with him badly, and they had a bit of a, a shindig about this. But eventually Avon gave in to Blake as the captain, so Avon didn't get his way. Well, Villa saw this as a chance to have a jab at Avon, and he starts to you know take take the Mickey out of him because he he had to give in to what Blake Blake had, had said to him, and and. The way that Avon responded to what Villa said was very, very clever. Because what he said is this. He said, yes, but Villa, you're being led. I've decided to follow. Now, that's the push, biblically, behind response to leadership. Not passively doing what you are told. Because elders have no right to tell people what to do. My goodness, of course they don't. I mean, even if you've got someone in the church who who kind of decides, hey, yeah, I'm going to live with my girlfriend. Now, there's a situation that needs dealing with. Now, an elder may have a word with them. But you don't have to be an elder to have a word with them. I mean, an elder might speak with them, so what? A non-elder can speak with them. And if discipline has to be done, it goes to the church. Can you see? So elders may or may not be doing these things, but you don't have to be an elder to do it. Can you see? The whole push is the church collectively deciding and discovering together what God's will is. Now, just 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 start to 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 wind up here and just go to um. Go to Joshua. Let's let's have a look and and see this principle even there in 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 the Old Testament. This, this just kind of sums it up nicely, because we're not saying that leaders don't lead, but we're just saying the way that they lead is totally different from the way that leaders lead in churches, by and large, uh, since the time that the early church fathers uh, mucked everything up with their their wrong teaching and their wrong practice. Now, in uh, Joshua, now this is, Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. And uh, in Joshua chapter 1, let's just see the order here. Now in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and then you get what God spoke to Joshua. All right, we haven't got time to read it now. But now go to verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people. So here, Joshua now speaks to the people let's go down to verse 16 and 17 and see the people respond. Then they answered Joshua whatever you have commanded us to do and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, look, can you see what's happening here? God speaks to Joshua. So, and we see elders are there to find out God's will for the church. The church can find out God's will, but, it, but, but, but elders should be out there on front. They bring it to the church. They don't say, hey, this is God's will, that's it, no discussion or anything. But the point is, God spoke to Joshua then, Joshua spoke to the people, because remember, <clears throat> without this relationship with the Lord, this maturity, you won't, you won't have people acknowledge your moral authority. You would if you're in a hierarchical structure, because you're the pastor, they're the people, but in a biblical setup, without that relationship with God, people won't respond to you. So the point is, you hear from God and you speak to the people, but look, the point is, the response of the people is, yeah, we'll, we'll follow you only may the Lord your God be with you. It's always a completely conditional response. You don't respond to an elder if you think he's wrong. Can you see? That just isn't the thinking in the New Testament church, and that isn't the way that people did it. So what we've seen... Do we have to submit to elders? Eldership submission, eldership authority. We hear it all over the place, don't we? What we have seen is this. Authority in the church lies with the gathered corporate church, not just the elders. So in a church, the authority lies with that church not just the leaders and of course if churches in an area come together like the individual churches in jerusalem came together as the church of the area again exactly the same it was the gathered churches the church corporate that held the decision-making power not the corporate leaders of those churches can you see that so yeah authority lies with the gathered church not just the leaders The leaders are indeed leaders, and to that extent, they do govern, and they govern and have an authority which those in the church, when necessary, ought to respond to. Now again, by govern, I'm not talking about they make the decisions. But, like, there are times when they may take the lead or say, hey, we've got to sort this out. I mean, you know, if, if, if someone needs to be put out of the church, an elder might convene that gathering. But what we're seeing is that they are indeed the leaders, and so to that extent, they, they kind of govern. But the point is, they have been raised up from among people and who, who are responding to them. So even if elders have to break a deadlock have to and oh, this is so this is the total exception not the norm even if elders have to put their foot down and say well actually this is the way it's got to be okay the point is they're doing that in a situation where those people have themselves recognized their uh, kind of their calling as an elder on the basis of long-term relationship with them and not because they've been imported from the outside or something like that so if you want to think of that as elders being in authority in the church fine and if that's your understanding of submitting to elders then fine I'm happy with that but just as long as we know that when we talk about elders having authority and being leaders um, as long as we you know that there's a right way to submit to them alright we've seen what that is to to be persuaded by them, then I'm happy with that. Just as long as you're not thinking in terms of hierarchy and position, okay? It's what we've seen in this talk. It's function and not position. It's not hierarchy. And church government is by consensus of the collective corporate church. Right, next time we will look at putting people out of worship. The jolly one.